to an exciting episode on the rpg concierge we're trying to help players get started whether they've never played before or they want to step into a new role we're here to help today our guest is a game designer who is having a very exciting kickstarter going on right now that you can still support it's called arc doom tabletop rpg designed by our very special guest mamados hi mamados thank you so much for joining me Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm really glad to be part of this uh, video and interview and really hyped to talk about ARC and also the, the game design journey that it took to get there. Yeah, great. That's perfect. That's exactly what I'd like to talk about. Um, but before we get into to game design and stuff, let's just introduce you a little bit to our audience. Can you tell us a little bit about your gaming background, like how you got started in games and what led you to design your own games? Yeah, uh, so for me, it really started because I, I stumbled upon these really battered copies of my brother's Dragonlance trilogies. Oh, and from yeah. there, it was like uh, I, I fell sideways into looking for Dungeons and Dragons campaigns that I could join. But it was it was a bit funny because my first RPG was actually um, Legends of the Five Rings. Oh, which cool. It's it just completely different. I wouldn't say it's completely different, but it tackles a, a different culture and setting from Dungeons and Dragons. Sure. But I think that ended up being a good thing for me also because that meant that I I was more open to exploring a lot of different RPGs out there. And that even led to some really indie games that I love. And that also made it easier for me to transition to game design in 2019. And the silly reason for it was because a lot of my friends started doing it and it seemed like fun. So I just started joining in. Um, game design has been a really, for most part, a really joyful kind of hobby exercise, even now occupation, I guess, for me. And it's something I hope I keep on doing for a long time. You got into game design because your friends were doing it. What awesome peer pressure to succumb to, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah. So I've read through the Magus, which was, I believe, your first game. Is that right? No, my first game oh. was a one page. Was it one page? Technically, I think two pages, but they were back to back. <laughs> but All right. it was basically a hack of Honey Heist oh. called Capybara Capers. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. Yeah. Um, Honey Heist is fantastic. I. Capybara capers. Okay, so what is that about? So honey heist so, is bears trying to steal honey from a yeah, uh, yeah. honey festival, and capybara. Capybara capers. It is capybaras doing a heist, but for a lemon. Nice. <laughs> but, um, I did decide. Um, I, I I took a lot of inspiration from honey heist. But, you know, um, I, I really love like the co cooperative, collaborative play of RPGs. But then I decided, you know, what if we add a traitor into the midst? So Capybara <laughs> Capers is like that, but it, it has that mechanic for building trust or betrayal. So I it was a really fun mechanic to explore. And I, 
I heard that some a lot of people, even kids, had had fun playing it. That's great. It sounds wonderful. Uh, capybaras are the best. Also, every time I think of them, I just think of them sitting in a steaming pool of water with a bunch of lemons floating around. So your concept is like perfection. It's wonderful. I love it. So the Magus, it came after that. And that is a solo journaling RPG. Can you Let's start off with just a brief description. Do you mind giving a description of what the Magus is about? Okay. So um, as you've mentioned, it's a solo journaling game. So that means it's played by one person. You are given a set of prompts, events. They could be decided by random dice rolls, or they could be decided by stats that you've accumulated throughout the game. And in response to those prompts, you write out what happens in a journal or in your Word document or in your Google Doc. But it is basically a creative role-playing slash writing exercise. So part of it is determined by how you react to the roles, how you react to the stats that go up or down. But building the story is kind of like your own private RP session where for a lot of new gamers, I find it's easier for them to start with solo RPGs because there, there's no judgment. You can just write what you want, develop it as you feel like it. And even in the Magus, there is no pressure for you to write really long form entries. Just develop it in any way that feels interesting and meaningful to you. And that's the crux of solo journaling RPGs. The theme of the Magus is basically you're a wizard who is out on a quest for power, but that comes at a cost of losing out on valuable relations and connections with fellow humans. So you have to balance your ambition with your, basically your humanity and make sure that it doesn't end into something really catastrophic. It's beautiful the way that it's written. It's wonderful. It's just so captivating from beginning to end for me. I, I read it in less than a day. I couldn't put it down. And to me, it's this... You've done this amazing job of sort of flawlessly blending the storyline in with the mechanics. And the mechanics are incredibly intuitive. It's super easy to understand. As soon as you get past the first round of tables, essentially, everything from that point forward makes sense. It, we've already figured it out. Something that I've noticed in the Magus that stood out to me is the art design and the layout which clearly also is a huge component of Ark Doom. What is your background in visual design or fine arts or something? Like there's got to be something there, right? Yeah. Um, so it was mainly self-taught, but what? that doesn't discount like the years of practice, the years of mistakes and, and detours that it took to get here. Like sure. uh, I started drawing in high school, and for a while, I really, really wanted to get into fine arts in university, but I never felt that my art skills were good enough. So I, I took a detour to engineering. But that didn't mean Jeez. that I stopped like drawing on the side or even picking up graphic design. And I think I attribute a lot of my growth in skill in being, we, we call it in Filipino, being having a thick skin, a thick face, <laughs> kapal ng mukha. 
um, putting ourselves forward, even if we feel out of depth, volunteering for like student orgs or um, doing a lot of exercises online and publishing it, even if I feel like it's not up to a high quality and just slowly building the skills throughout the years, trying to apply it as much as I can, trying to pick up theory where I could, but it's a lot of self-motivated effort. But the wonderful thing about it is that all it takes is that effort and that patience. And literally, I didn't need to go to formal training to um, learn all that. Yeah, all that hard work really pays off. So when you're putting a game together, from my zero experience, I've never designed a game. uh, But to me, it seems like there's the story component. There's a mechanics component. And there's an artistic um, art or illustration component. When you're designing, are there other things that I'm not picking up on as far as key categories? And where do you begin in your process? I think maybe just to add to that, you you did mention like the, the art component, but I, I would like to maybe group it into a, a broader category, like the, the aesthetics of it, which includes the art, but also the graphic design and even how you write it. Because um, like you've mentioned, the, the magazine is written in a specific way. Um, Capybara Capers is written as a very lighthearted, very funny, um, light RPG. So basically how you communicate that game isn't just limited to the art, but even to how you articulate the mechanics and the theme as well. So the, the theme or the story, the aesthetics, and finally the mechanics, I feel like the would cover the essential aspects of any um, role-playing game today. As for the process, I really wish I could I could give uh, like a, a very uh, consistent answer to that. It, it really changes. Um, for example, uh, with Capybara Capers, it started with a theme. It started with an inspiration, basically, like, what if Honey Heist but Capybaras? <laughs> uh, with the Magus, I started first with the aesthetics and the mechanics and the theme much later on. Okay. <laughs> so I, I feel like that, that's, that might be a bit unusual, but I really had this idea of this is going to be really weird but my design um, my design challenge was using all of the seven die in a solo journaling game so oh, nice yeah, yeah so cool. i i started with that concept and i had this idea of applying that in a solo journaling game and a theme that I've always wanted to explore in a game was um something melancholic or dark that uses a lot of like beautiful dark art and blending that with the mechanics somehow made it feel like I should make it deal with power or statistics or numbers that help you track your level as you progress and that inspired me to think of wizards involving themselves in arcane study. So when I say it this way, it sounds so neat and like very progressive but it's actually several days of thinking I want to use all the dice, but in I don't think a solo journaling game has ever done that yet. So what would make sense for this? So it differs. Sometimes the point of 
beginning starts with a burning inspiration to explore a mechanic or a theme like with the magus where i really really wanted to try to have seven dice in a solo journaling game sometimes it's it starts from a feeling of hey this is a fun idea to start with um let's see what's possible um using what ideas i can research from out there so I, I think for me, it, it doesn't matter so much whether it begins with the aesthetics, with the theme, or the mechanics. More so um, whether I get obsessed with a particular aspect that I really have to explore that, or I'm in a more uh, joyful exploratory mood where I, I can pull in any ideas I want, and then I put it in a blender, and hopefully what comes out is fun or easy to play test. I mean... Clearly, from my perspective, I've not, I've not seen any of the actual plays for Ark. I know that they're on your Kickstarter page, which I'm definitely going to go through this weekend when I have time. If anybody else is out there, please just head over to the Kickstarter. There's a ton of really great info there. Um, but so I don't have a huge grasp on what Ark is like, other than what's written on the Kickstarter page. But the thing that I love to hear about what you're talking about as far as your process is that it's not always tidy. It's kind of messy. It depends a lot on your mood or what other concepts and stuff are flying through your world at that time. But something that I noticed on your Kickstarter page, which I think is remarkable, is just how big of a team you've put together for this. As I'm looking through and I'm seeing all of the stretch goals and things, it seems like every new stretch goal or several of the stretch goals are we are going to have another adventure written and illustrated by these other people. Is that something that's difficult for you to do? I know a lot of creators have a hard time with letting creative control go of certain things. How do you make that work? It, it was admittedly um difficult on i would say two fronts first is deciding who i could trust with uh, a really meaningful project to me and I, I can say that these are the people i would absolutely trust with um pushing arc forward with their writing and their art also doing the logistics of making sure that they're available that they are okay with the timeline that's a lot of like um heartache and effort that i feel gets glossed over just doing the logistics of that but the second aspect is making sure that i clearly articulate my vision for arc making sure that we're all aligned on expectations on the adventure but also giving the necessary flexibility so that they could infuse their own vision and perspective into it. Uh, I feel like th the reason why I asked them to be stretch goals is because I really admire what they bring to RPGs. Uh, so I wouldn't want to ask them to be part of the team only for me to control them. That would go completely against why I asked them to be part of it. And I'm really, really excited to see what they come up with. I think this week I finally finished up a guideline document, but it was really more of these are the sections. This is the specific content. You can have this sort of style if you'd like. But the specific theme, the specific story and how it develops is completely up to you. 
So I, I'm really, really proud of the stretch goal team we develop. And I, I also have to give a shout out to Magdalene and Sacker who are developing digital tools for ARC, which I feel is really important because we're, we're all players separated by massive gulfs of distances, but that doesn't mean we can't play together. Yeah, I love that. I saw that was a um, another stretch goal that you guys completely blew past. <laughs> and it's such a great idea. So this was a question I was going to ask later on, but since we're here talking about it, there's a lot of thoughtfulness, and this kind of strays away from the idea of game design, so I apologize for that, but it ties into the way that you handle your stuff, your creations. You have a lot of altruism in the way that you work. You've got digital tools, you've got your hiring sensitivity readers you've got prompts for session zero to make sure everybody has a safe game one of your stretch goal was to pay yourself and your team more money which is wonderful you're offering reduced pricing or free copies for people who are in financial uh, hardship there's community copies as part of it there's a lot of amazing good-hearted outreach that's happening in this thing are you comfortable talking about why that's such an important part of what you're doing? Oh, yeah. Um, I think it's absolutely important. One thing I also have to note is that none of these are revolutionary. Like All of these things have been built upon the wonderful work of um, past community um, leaders and initiatives like community copies came from, I think, Deep Anyway, and people have been adding stretch goals to um, compensate people. And basically, ARC just make sure that we don't forget that all of these good initiatives exist and making sure that we maximize them. I think if you've noticed, almost all of the pledges put back a community copy into the pool. So I think at this rate, we've probably already have 1,000 plus community copies, which means um, it's going to be available for way more people after the campaign ends. Well, at least in PDF form. Yeah. And that matters to me because I do come from the Philippines where our cost of living is completely different. Our daily wages are quite low compared to Western countries. In here, it's not uncommon to have a salary of like $400 a month. And then you're expected to use that to support like a a family. So it's really quite hard to justify purchasing an RPG. So (laughs) it's really, really hard. Like if you have to pick between groceries and an RPG, you know what you're going to pick, which does mean that there is a lot of content that is inaccessible to people in hardship. And these people in hardship could eventually become the next generation of creators, the next generation of players who can then help pay it forward and provide more community copies to others, create more um, games that explore underrepresented perspectives. So it's really making the um, player base as wide as possible so that the next generation of RPG players can be truly inclusive. Yeah, you hit the nail right on the head there. That's wonderful. I love that so much. It just speaks to my heart. So I, I guess all I can say is, Thank you for being so aware, you know, not only of your community, but of the community at large, the global community that's out there. Not everybody is going through the same experience. And 
you've really put in a lot of work and it shows huge kudos to you for taking those steps. Okay, we're going to take a quick break right here. And when we come back from our break, we're going to talk about the ARC Kickstarter in more detail. So thank you, Mamedos, and stick around. We'll be right back. We're rolling. Mark. Hello, I'm Sky, And I'm Ford. Together, we form the writing partnership of L. Skyford. We're excited to bring you Booklandia, a new podcast about books. On Booklandia, we review books, mostly. Honestly, mostly romance books. We'll occasionally discuss book topics, like our favorite and least favorite romance book tropes. Maybe one day I'll learn what a cinnamon roll is. Maybe. Perhaps we'll also dive into my psyche and why I hate the enemies to lovers trope and why it's such a popular one. Is it because you're a robot? Probably. We will absolutely spoil books for you. We will absolutely f***ing curse. And you will leave each episode knowing just how sexy we thought each book was. Did it make us want to get naked? Maybe. I'm definitely naked. <laughs> Probably. So am I. So please join <laughs> us on Booklandia, <laughs> where each book is a whole world to explore. And we're out. Hey, this is TC. And this is Jim from the Studio Demands It podcast. Where every episode we take a demand from a hypothetical studio. Which could be you. And challenge ourselves to conceptualize, pitch, and craft a film based on the stipulations. Or the demands. We are given. We talk about movies all the time. Particularly, we complain about the choices made in the films we've seen. We're nerds like that. And, of course, like any good nerd does, we automatically assume could do better even with the demands and restrictions that clearly must have been put on by a production so head on over to studiodemandsit.com and listen to our previous library of episodes damn it our library of previous episodes our precious library jim <laughs> our library of precious episodes <laughs> you're a pirate smeagol <laughs> uh, okay so head on over to studiodemandsit.com to listen to our library of episodes and submit your demand for a future episode too so go do that okay bye okay end of ad okay and we're back we're here with mamados who is designing an incredible game. It's on Kickstarter right now. The Kickstarter ends on June 30th. It goes through June 30th. So you should have a couple of more days left before the Kickstarter is over. So get over there and support it. You will not regret it. It's wonderful. You're going to want this book on your shelf. So Mamedos, can you give us a description for our listeners about what this game is? All right, so ARC is what we call a Doom Tabletop RPG because it deals with an impending, um, an impending event that will upend the world that matters to your heroes. So it could be a literal catastrophe, the end of the world, or even something more intimate, like your uncle's wedding is about to be overrun by strange shapeshifters or your aunt is coming for Christmas. So what makes ARC different from a lot of other fantasy tabletop RPGs is its usage of real-time mechanics with in-story mechanics. One of the core mechanics is the Doomsday Clock, which basically tracks down how much time you have left before the Doom arrives. So it's literally tied to how much time you have in your play. So if you only have three hours to play, by the end of those three hours, the omens, the subplots should have been resolved or else the doom will arrive. And it's something that is really ominous for a lot of gamers and something that provides a lot of tension for adventures as well. 
And when you do manage to overcome the doom, it provides a really satisfying payoff because that means you're heroes who manage to save your worlds yet again. Wonderful. Ugh. That doom clock is incredible. So I think I misunderstood it before. There's a way for players to overcome and defeat the doom. Is that right? Yep. So um, if you manage to strike at the root cause of the doom uh, before the time ends, that means that, yay, technically you get the happy ending, although it's still possible to get uh, a story that isn't perfectly happy, even if you manage to stop the doom from happening. Mm -hmm. And even if you fail to stop the doom, that does not mean that the world ends. It means something bad has happened. And the next time you play, is this something you can do a long form campaign with? Uh, you can build upon consecutive dooms, like um, whether or not you vanquish it or you fall to it. It can provide this a foundation for the next game. That's great. I love this mechanic. <laughs> you mentioned in your description that it ratchets up the tension, which I'm so giddy to try to play it. I'm excited to see how this works. I feel like it's a slow build up to a certain point and then it just becomes frantic. Typically in a game, for anyone in our audience who is a brand new player, uh, welcome. <laughs> and also typically what happens is you will have some sort of obstacle that you need to overcome. And there is time in the game that can pause and restart as the players at the table discuss what their tactics are or what plan they want to do, which is never going to happen and it's going to fall apart the second anyone does something. But that means that 20 minutes in the game might take an hour or more at the table as people hash out some kind of plan. But in this game, that doesn't matter because it's a real world clock locked to this doom event. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. It's brilliant. <laughs> It's, in, it's great in its simplicity, but I've got to ask, as far as design goes, it's easy for me to sit here now that it's done and you're describing it to me uh, to say, that's so simple. It's brilliant. Is it as simple as it sounds? How did that come together for you? Like you're sitting down, you decide you want to ratchet up the tension from that moment to having this final product. What does that look like? I think it started when I am... Um... I saw like the, the clocks mechanic from like other RPGs, uh, like Blades in the Dark. Mm -hmm. yeah, and sure. I was also looking at um, time as limited time as a team because um, ARC was developed right after my previous game, which dealt with legacy and making the most and trying to achieve a legacy in a limited time. So I thought, what if you could combine those two ideas together and to make it more exciting, the, the clock um, won't wait for the player. It will keep on running uh, when the real time is um, going throughout the play. So, um, and I, I discovered how much tension that added because suddenly players um, don't have to wait or plan for like hours just to do one event. They really need to keep things flowing because there is suddenly a real consequence to, to hesitation. So there is, um, they are compelled to keep moving the story along. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> As someone who runs games a lot, 
I really appreciate that so much. <laughs> no disrespect to any of my players out there. I play as well. I know how it goes, but there are definitely sessions that I've run where I've got so much story planned and then we get to like a fraction of it because everyone is so uh, stressed out about something and they need to plan it, which I guess is good because then the players are feeling tense, but I don't know. There's something about this that I like so much. Something about the idea of no plan is going to be perfect. You've got to do something. Time is ticking. Any action is better than no action. Uh, just go do something, yeah. right? It's kind of like the hero's call to action. No one, no one ever feels prepared. No one ever feels prepared to be the hero and step in, but sometimes there's no time to waste or wait for somebody who does feel ready and thematically it's just wonderful yeah i don't know what else to say about it i'm so excited about it uh, on this kickstarter page there's a bunch of really incredible surrealist collage style art and artwork and things I, i'm looking at the pedal ambassador piece of artwork uh it says oh yes, I do look quite distinctive, don't I? The pedal ambassador smiled. And the, and the image that goes with it is this, I'm not sure how to describe it, it looks like some sort of uh, priest character with flower petals blooming out of their face and head and like a crown. Are there surrealist elements or supernatural elements to the core game? The core game itself doesn't recommend a particular setting. But I do really like faintly surreal, faintly strange settings and stories myself. So I did sprinkle some of it in the artwork and also in some of the random tables. Uh, these are completely optional. Like you can disregard that completely. But a lot of people have also come up to me and say that this is a really distinctive look and aesthetic. And I feel like I, I guess I would take a lot of pride in that because these are also the personal aesthetics that I feel I really like and would love to see more out there as well. Yeah, me too. Very much so, me too. It reminds me of, there's a, an author named Nick Bantock who does very surreal stories of like characters that pass notes back and forth. And there's a lot of collage artwork and weird supernatural things that are happening to them and stuff like that and so there's a lot of things in the art style and aesthetic of arc that feels very similar to me and i'm super psyched about it so yeah you said it can be played in any setting yep so is arc a book that is filled with mechanics only or how how's the final product put together so the, the final product i would say um Chapter one would be about the doom. Um, chapter two is making the hero. Chapter three is the rules. Four is about spells and techniques in which a bit of flavor, a bit of that surreal strangeness also seeps through. Chapter five is helping the guide or the, the game runner to set up uh, arc and make sure that they know what kind of decisions they have to make before, during, or even after the game. And there's also appendices where there's um, creatures, adversaries, and also sample plays. So I would say most of it is mechanics, but 
whenever there is content like the spells, the, the creatures, and some random tables here and there, that's where I get a little bit cheeky and add in that flavor. So um, all of these are always optional, but when you read it as a whole, it does encourage like exploring fantasy stories that are not locked into medieval Tolkien fantasy. That is awesome. Um, I, I love this idea of exploring different kinds of fantasy from different cultures and backgrounds and not constantly focusing on the, the Tolkien-esque background. I'm super down for that. And I feel like there's some connection between that concept and some of the tables that you've had in Megas as well, where you can roll to see what kind of artifact is created, things like that. And all you get as a player is the name of the thing. And you're tasked with writing up how it works and what it does. And so it's like uh, you give people just enough of a toolkit to then run with it on their own and invent their own world and design. Would you say that that's similar here in ARC or is that not at all the same? Yeah, I think that's a that's a good point because um, especially with the the random tables, it would make references to like um, tree pale girls clawing their way from the ground, but it, it doesn't explicitly say who they are, what they do, what they mean for your story. So there there really is a lot of freedom to adapt these nuggets of flavor to how it makes sense in your story. So I think your your insight is correct. Yeah. I love it. I, do you run games or <laughs> sometimes what's your I do. Background? <laughs> um, admittedly, one of the reasons why um, I, I made ARC, particularly um, chapter five, which is all about the guide, is because I, I get a lot of anxiety running games. I actually tend to avoid it where I can because um, it, it's really hard because you feel like you have to, to perform for your players. You have to make an enjoyable experience, have a nice, consistent story. But um, trying to do all of that, juggling it with making NPC voices, <laughs> uh, trying to remember encounters was a lot for me. And I think still remains a lot for me. And I think that's also explaining why a lot of art is built that way. Like the, the doomsday clock mm, is to, to prompt the players into flowing, but it's also a useful tool for GMs to pace their story because now they know, hey, the doomsday clock is two thirds over. This is a visual indicator that maybe I should ramp up the stakes or make the threat much more visible to the players. Mm -hmm. So small things yeah, like that which I hope will also encourage me to run more games. Um, I recently ran a game for Dicebreaker. It was really, really fun because they also brought in silly characters, but it ended up being kind of a uh, an interesting ending at the end. Um, they were able to... Oh, no, wait, I shouldn't say the spoilers, but you should just watch. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to watch you it this weekend. You should just watch it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I saw that thing about dice breakers it's wonderful uh the blurb about it sounds hilarious and uh, i'm gonna see if i can find it here oh yeah so dice breakers two himbos a lady and a child search for a juicy flower come on that's just <laughs> it's so fun i'm so looking forward to it uh it's 
it's a one hour long episode. You can find it on the Kickstarter. It's um, down close to the bottom in the in other news and actual play section. So I am very excited. There's an actual play on there that's two and a half hours long, but I feel like the world in your imagination is so fun and I just want to go and hang out there. Like just go camping there for a weekend. I don't need to stay for a long time. It sounds very dangerous, but you know, just to hang out in there and see what it's like. Seems like it'd be a lot of fun. Okay, so we talked a little bit about the Magus earlier and I want to go back to that because you published it you published it on RPGC or you were I'm not entirely certain how across RPGC works. Oh, okay. Uh, because it's a hashtag to follow but it's also a website. And it's operated by nobody, and I don't really get it, <laughs> yeah. but I love the idea. So basically, RPGC began, I think, 2019 by um, really active community members. Um, I think Pam Punzalan, BJ Resho, and Xiaohan from Philippines and Singapore. And it's basically a, a way to identify and also, um, I guess, unite creators from Southeast Asia, whether they're actually living in the region or whether they're part of the diaspora, um, RPGCs, basically content creators from Southeast Asia. And that's basically it. You don't need to sign a membership to be part of it. You just basically say, hey, I'm RPGC, and then that's it. So the, the hashtag started first, and there are a lot of initiatives to support it. Um, Discord communities. And in January this year, there was the Session Zero online convention, which basically gathered, I think, 80 or 90 plus Southeast Asian creators in wow. one online convention. So it gathered um, at one point, there were 400 plus active visitors. So they were all in the same online location. So it was really, really fun. But then after the event ended, you can still visit the online um, booths and see what people have put up. But I saw it as an opportunity to um, maybe build a website to make it easier for people to access the excellent content that people have shared in that convention. So Across RPGC was built off that um, idea and I think it was launched end of February, so one month after Session Zero ended, and basically pulled in an RPG from each of the creator who had a boot in Session Zero. So over the past few months, um, there's been uh, some additions. It's always all open for submissions, but one thing I look forward to once the art Kickstarter has kind of um, relaxed is focusing back on across RPGC because it, it's it's a job <laughs> maintaining and building that website since I also built it up myself. Oh, you but did? But in the meantime, I've been putting a lot of work on the Twitter account because it's easier to maintain. And sometimes that does help me um, identify, hey, these are the games that I would need to put up in the across RPGC side. Wow, that's great. I didn't realize that you were the web designer for that as well. That's awesome. Uh, hello, good to meet you. Your website is Yay. beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you at home, it's across RPGC. That's across RPGSEA.com. 
And it's a beautiful, super clean website, really easy to navigate. There's even a randomized button you can press and it will pull up a random game designed by Southeast Asian game designers. Um, it's wonderful. If you're a game designer and you're of Southeast Asian descent and you're looking for a place to host your stuff, how does one get their game hosted on that site? Oh, so basically, um, if you have an itch or a drive through or any project page for your game, just send it over to me. There is a form that helps me um, copy-paste basically your description, your tags for genre, and so on. But if you just really want to see it up in like as quick as possible, you could just throw your project link to me, um, and I'll help set it up for you. Oh my God, you're just making the world easier and better for everybody. Do you have anything else you'd like to say on the topic of game design for anyone out there who may be trying to get started? Oh, for game design, I think something that really helped me begin was um, don't be afraid of hacking other games and then injecting your own weird interpretation of it. But uh, keep your mind open for always iterating, always trying out different ideas, and not being afraid to explore your perspective or explore themes that have not yet been explored before. So it's really just uh, keeping an open mind and keeping experimenting. And don't forget that game design can also be a fun experience. <laughs> like, like something I, I sometimes see and worry about is people um, focusing a lot on the, the hardships, which truly genuinely exist, um, the hardships of trying to sell or the difficulties of making sure that a game has to be perfectly designed in a certain way sometimes you can just start game design because it seems like fun or your friends are doing it that's lovely i like what you said about sometimes it can start from hacking another idea and injecting your own i i think art informs art right like you can be inspired by music you can be inspired by fine arts you can be inspired by other people's games or television or film or whatever it is. So I like that. Yeah. Give yourself permission to explore your own concept, even if you hack something else to get yourself started. That's great. And do you have anything you'd like to plug before we finish? I think there might be something out there that oh, you wonder, might want to get I wonder what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yes, please do support ARC. Um, it is a project that means a lot to me, not just because um, I, I drew, designed, and wrote it, not just because we have such a wonderful stretch goal team that can really expand um, how adventures are built for RPGs, but also because... It's not often that a Kickstarter from Southeast Asia or even from the Philippines where I come from actually becomes successful or even widely known about. So making sure that we have a truly successful Southeast Asian Kickstarter and paving the way for future Kickstarters from the region is something that matters a lot to me and can be made possible with your support. Beautifully said, absolutely. Thank you so much for joining me. I will throw a link to the Kickstarter in the show notes. So if anybody wants to, you should be able to, if you're listening to this, you should be able to just click that link and it'll take you right over there. Honestly, it's going to be a smash hit. If nothing else, you're just going to want this beautiful book on your shelf. 
if you're anything like me, the artwork goes a long way and this one is stellar. So as always, if you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to me on Twitter at at Finnegan one. That's F-I-O-N-N-E-G-A-N and the numeral one or by email at the RPG concierge at gmail.com. And if you like the show, please give us a like and subscribe and take a second to write a review. That and telling your friends are the best way to get the show to reach a larger audience. Thanks again, Mamados, for joining me today. I had a great time and I'm so excited about your game. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for the listeners who have tuned in up to the very end. <laughs> yeah, same. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>